You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today, I'm talking with two awesome visualization experts. Both have worked for years on a great community project called Makeover Monday. And today, this episode, you will learn a lot about great visualizations from them. So stay tuned. And now, some music. Andy Kriebel and Eva Murray are awesome visualization experts. They both run for years this Makeover Monday initiative that you will learn a lot more during this episode. And they also have written a really, really nice book that I would urge you to check out. There's lots of, lots of great learning content in it. So stay tuned for this really, really nice episode. And one other thing, if you haven't joined yet our The Effective Statistician LinkedIn group, head over to LinkedIn, join this group, and also follow me on LinkedIn because I create lots of, lots of valuable content on LinkedIn on a regular basis and there's much more to come. I've already written lots of lots of articles. So join this LinkedIn group, The Effective Statistician and follow me on LinkedIn to not miss all this awesome content. This podcast is produced in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more which is coming up. Visit the PSI homepage at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician Podcast. And today I have two awesome guests here. Hi, Eva. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Good. Hi, Alexander. Great, great. Thank you for having us. Very, very good. So both of our guests today are really passionate about data visualization. And yeah, I think you both spent quite a lot of time of your day in, in that area, maybe just in this area. So what makes you so passionate about this area? Maybe Eva, you can, you can start first. Okay. I think for me, it's really having discovered something that wasn't, wasn't at all on my radar when I was younger and just realizing, oh, there is actually something beyond numbers, but I could, you know, it, it kind of combines creativity and logic and tells a story and there is software that makes it so easy to do so. And I'm like, oh, and then I'm not too bad at it. So maybe I should do more of this. And just realizing how important it is for organizations to get really effective in communicating their numbers because we've all been in places or done the work ourselves where we created, I don't know, tables or very lengthy, wordy documents to get a point across when it could be said very easily with a chart. So thinking back to my university days and trying to communicate you know, statistics in my research papers and then 
to now, it's it's such a massive difference. And I think for me, it's just it's something that's actually needed, but it's also something that is really fun and engaging, uh, and that's why I'm passionate about it. Okay, and Andy, yeah, I, I think kind of uh, similar to Eva, it's all about communication. When when I first kind of got into data visualization. I didn't really realize I was getting into data visualization, but suddenly things made more sense because I was using charts and graphs and I was quite terrible at it, but I was getting a lot of positive feedback that people were able to understand things a lot quicker. I ended up using data visualization a lot when I would go on sales calls with, uh, with our sales team when I worked at Coca-Cola. And to be able to you know, not have a PowerPoint deck and communicate with, with uh, stakeholders one-on-one, -on -one, answer their questions right on the fly. It made for such a different experience and it helped them kind of see the data and make sense of it and be able to answer their own questions right on the fly versus, you know, some kind of PowerPoint deck or some Excel spreadsheet that you have to kind of dig through and try to find the insights. And then it becomes quite difficult to answer questions as well. So data visualization for me really helped me understand my job or do my job better, understand the data better. And now I use it a lot for quantified self, you know, quantified self data. And I understand myself a lot better. Okay. Okay. So you basically used interactive visualization with during your sales calls at coca-cola yes yeah i would i would uh we'd have you know some some visualizations that were set up you know as almost like a powerpoint presentation but if they asked a question during that i could go ahead and answer it right then and okay. it made for a completely different experience for with the customer and the sales team imagine you know being a buyer at a company And, you know, the, the, the PowerPoint deck, usually what would happen is you'd have a question, they'd come back a month later when you get another appointment. And by that time, the question is no longer valid and it takes too long to respond to things. So when you can um, interact with somebody, particularly with data visualization, and they can kind of one question leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. And then they have, you know, the, okay, now I know what I need to do. Now is when I can make a difference in my organization. That's like super powerful and it's really, really fun as well. Yeah, I have the same experience in that regard that when we meet with in our area, very often physicians or, or payers that are interested in the data of the, the clinical data, when we can directly interact with these data and can show, okay, but my patients are older, my patients are, you know, I have predominantly female patients, so I have, you know, most of my patients are treated, treated with this medication. How does the you know, efficacy and safety profile look like in these patients. And you can directly answer it on the spot and it show kind of how the this subgroup is, you know, corresponds to the bigger subgroup or whether there's an, you know, effect there. That is so, so powerful and yeah. also is so creates so much trust. And of course it speeds up the process incredibly. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's cl classic cohort analysis there. <laughs> so you both have a really, really exciting initiative going on for, for quite some time now that even resulted in a book with, with the same title, Makeover Monday. So tell us a little bit about this initiative and, and uh, how it all gets started and, and how people can actually benefit from it. 
I'm going to let Andy start because I think he should talk a little bit about the history, how it all came about. Yeah. Okay. I can do that even. Then you can talk about how it works maybe. Um, so when I first started learning about going back actually to learning about data visualization, uh, I had read a book by Stephen Few, um, Information Dashboard Design. And one of the things that he did in his books was talk about kind of what works and what doesn't work in a visualization and then how could you improve it? And I found that like really powerful and this really easy way to understand, you know, understand the data that people were trying to communicate. So when I started blogging, that was kind of the focus of the way that I would blog. I would take a visualization that, you know, wasn't particularly good or didn't communicate well. And I would go through those, those same steps. So what works, what doesn't work, and then what, what might I do differently? And then I would propose an alternative. And I was doing that pretty much uh, at least once a week for, for several years. So I started blogging about 2009, I guess. And around 2012, 13, I don't remember exactly, a friend of mine noticed that I happened to be doing them on Monday all the time. And I was using some kind of acronym or not acronym. What the heck is it called when the, when the words mean the same thing? Anyway, she suggested I call it uh, Makeover Monday because I was doing the makeovers every day. And I think I was just calling it like chart makeover or something boring like that. Uh, so it kind of rolled off the tongue a lot better. And for several years I did, I did makeover Monday by myself and, you know, every single week. Uh, and I was learning an absolute ton about data visualization. And then in 2015, no, 2000 and yeah, end of 2015, Andy Cutgrave, who is a data visualization expert, uh, asked to join me on the project because he thought that his skills were getting a bit rusty and he wanted an excuse to kind of force himself to, to do it every week. So he and I uh, started it and we were just going to do it together and write about it on our blogs and everything. And we both committed to writing a blog post every week, creating a visualization every week. We alternated or actually we didn't alternate. So I owned all the data sets and he just participated. and then. We decided, well, why don't we just post it on Twitter and see if anybody else wants to do it along with us? And, you know, hundreds of people in the first year did it. We had, I think, 12 people, if I remember right, that that did every single week. Um, and at the time, I wanted to kind of remember what people were doing and kind of keep an archive of things. So I was, because there weren't that many people, I was using Pinterest to put everything on. And that ended up not being a very good idea when it became such a big project. I was like pinning hundreds of things a week. And when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I wasted a lot of time doing that. So we've kind of gone through a, di a different process of that. So, and then at the end of 2016, Andy had said he didn't want to, uh, you know, be part of it anymore. So I asked Eva to join me. Yeah. And from there, we kind of, well, I'm the person who says, hey, I've got an idea. We could do this. And Andy um, would always look at me pretty scared. But uh, we've grown the project since then. So the last three years since I joined, we've, we've added a few things. We've tried to automate processes to make it manageable for us because there was always just the two of us, but more and more people. And we wanted to make sure it's sustainable. It gives as many people as possible a chance to improve their visualization skills and their analysis skills. So what we introduced in about six months into 2017 was uh, regular webinars where we would give people feedback on their visualizations because we found, well, in the first few weeks, I tried to respond to every single person on Twitter and give them feedback on their viz. And 
it was just so stressful because when there's literally dozens of things every day, it's like, oh, gosh. Um, and Twitter was at the time still 140 character limits per tweet. <laughs> it was just terrible. Uh, and we tried a few things in terms of, you know, where we host the data and, like, the platform and how we interact and how we drive communications. And thankfully, Twitter has evolved over time as well. So there's now threads. You know, you can you can follow a conversation in a single thread. It's not just random tweets one after the other. And that's been really helpful. And while Twitter is not a great platform for your mental health, um, I think it is still very effective in just everyone participating because there is, like, even if you don't have a Twitter account, you can you can look at things. So we didn't want to make it locked down or, you know, kind of limited access only. So we still have the conversations happening on Twitter. And then we use data.world as a platform for hosting the data. So they came on board about a year later. So from the end of 2017, we've started hosting our data there, which has been extremely helpful because it's nice and structured and it has plugins for third-party tools and all of that. And our Weekly feedback webinar is still going strong. So we have this every Wednesday at 4 p.m. GMT or London time, uh, which is then 5 p.m. in Central Europe. And that covers most of Europe and the U.S. in terms of time zones. They're always recorded so people can watch them on demand if they can't make it live. And it's a really good way to give feedback because we can actually talk to people. Uh, tweets are, or just written communication, text messages, they're so bad at getting across our opinion in a friendly way, but, you know, direct and concise. So the the webinars are helpful because we can show things on the screen. I do actually quite often download someone's visualization and make some changes myself to show you can do this really quickly, just a couple of cosmetic changes and it improves it and it's been really enjoyable. And then at the end of last year, Andy announced his retirement, Makeover Monday, having, having run the project for four years. Yeah, and now Charlie Hutchison, who is... Apart from Andy, the only person who's completed all Makeup Mondays in existence since 2016, um, he's running it with me. So it's still a team effort. There is no one else in the team. We have um, a friend who you know helps with kind of the website admin, but apart from that, it's just the two of us. And we're now at oh, I think uh, I think 1,500 visualizations so far for this year, and we're in week nine. 1900. 1900. I'm just looking at it now. 1900. 622 people have participated. Wow. So, so it's really, it's really big. And it's been, there's always at the beginning of the year a big influx of new people, which is great to see. And one initiative we're launching this Sunday on International Women's Day is Visualize Gender Equality, which basically brings together um, another organization called Operation Fistula and Makeover Monday and the Tableau Foundation to use 12 months and once a month using Make a Monday as a platform and mechanism to talk about gender equality topics. So I'm excited to launch that this week and share with people just, you know, specific data sets that relate to that and bring more, highlight those topics more. Awesome. Awesome. So in terms of if someone wants to participate in, in this Makeover Monday and, you know, take a data set from that you're posting and, and work on it. Can you walk us through the process, how this, how this works? Yeah, well, each, each person ends up probably developing their own process. But as far as the process that we recommend to people, it'd be similar to what I talked about earlier that I learned from Stephen Few. So before you actually start looking at the data itself, just look at the chart that we post because you want to learn how to do critical thinking. And if you kind of have a 
almost like a library or, you know, you're, you're learning more and more about what charts are more effective. Look at the original visualization from that perspective. So what do you like about it? So they might have a great title or the colors go really well with the theme or, you know, sometimes it already is a really good chart. So think about, you know, what are the things that you particularly like about it? And I like doing that because then those are things I might want to reuse in my alternative. And then as far as things that don't work, you know, you can list those out as well. And those are almost like things you want to avoid or things you want to improve upon. And you can even just take the same visualization and make just those simple tweaks. So you probably could just go through your list of things that don't work, change those to what you think they should be. And then you'll, you'll probably have a more effective chart. And the last part of that is, you know, what are your thoughts about what you might do differently? And those are thoughts that I write down so that I'm not kind of biased by the data. I just want to first start, okay, this is kind of what I'm thinking about. This is what I see right now. So here's some things I might pursue. And I'll go down that path. Uh, once I start looking at the data, I'll go down that path. But I want to kind of set a structure for my alternative before I even look at the data. Okay. Okay. So you first just concentrate on the visualization and then look for the pros and the cons and then you basically go into the data and and check what's out there in 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 addition yeah. do you have some kind of first a goal in mind what what kind of specific thing you want to show about the data what kind of story you want to tell or does that evolve during the process it it does evolve but i tend to start with a, a pretty simple process of just you know, interrogating the data, because oftentimes the underlying data will have much more interesting things and insights in it than the original visualization. Oftentimes, it'll be embedded within an article. And the and if you read the article that goes with it, sometimes they'll have really interesting things that they talk about in the article, yet they don't convey those in the chart. So mm -hmm. why not? That's like the really interesting information. So I tend to start with a process of just asking, you know, kind of when, so if it's time series data, look at a bunch of time series charts, you know, if it's geographical data, look at where, or even it doesn't even have to be geographical, it could just be, you know, it's office locations, whatever, whatever it might be from a kind of a, a where perspective. And then, you know, what? So usually when I look at what, it's just a series of bar charts comparing things. And then, you know, the how or the why might be some scatter plots or relationships between the data. Mm -hmm. So I go through that as kind of like a data exploration before I decide on kind of how do I want to take it in that final direction. Okay. Okay. Eva, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I have to say I'm also I'm a huge fan of routine and consistency. So I go through that weekly process of, okay, let's look at the original, what's good, what's not so good, or what will I change? Because I feel it always sets me, like in my mind, I'm then, I've, I've then gone through a bit of a process and it puts me at the start line. And then from there I go. And I, I similarly to Andy, I do explore the data and just create a bunch of charts. And then sometimes I swap fields around. I'm like, oh, you know, suddenly you see something that you didn't see before. Um, I'm very much a visual person, so that process helps me to see things. Uh, I also always start by just looking at the data. So I understand what values are in the different columns because it's not always obvious what things might be um, and making sure I understand really how to use the data. So sometimes if it's not a very simple data set, I might rebuild the original to make sure I know exactly what fields they use to get to their results and their assumptions because then I'm like, okay, Now I know this is this is this is this measure and this is this measure, 
and I can go from there. And I tend to, yeah, just, I mean, sometimes I, so, so this week I haven't built my visualization yet, but I have a certain chart type in mind that I actually want to practice. So typically I go for whatever I think works best for the data set, but, but sometimes it's like, oh, there's a certain chart type I want to do. And I think the data fits this chart type. So mm-hmm. then it's more of a, okay, I really want to learn something about creating a chart rather than learning about communicating a certain topic or something. So, um, so that's my plan for this week. Okay. A certain chart type. Yeah. Yes, that's an interesting perspective. I, I'm also always looking for kind of uncommon charts that I have never kind of used before. And then, you know, look for whenever there's a data set that comes up. Oh, yeah, let's let's see how that works with, with this mm-hmm. chart type. Or the other way around, kind of see this chart type and see mm, what of all the different data sets that I have here could fit with that and, and could actually make our business partners that are non-statisticians, <laughs> more, more happy. So in terms of that, my listeners very, very familiar with setting up tables and specifying these, and, and that's kind of standard workflows are, are for that. And you write the specifications, you give it to a programmer, they do all the programming, and there's you know, quite elaborate processes for that to, to make sure that everything is right. That gets submitted to, let's say, health authorities like the EMA in Europe or the yeah no the MHRA in the UK after Brexit or the FDA in the US. For data visualizations, my experience is kind of one step after the other process doesn't really work so much. So if you work with with someone else that you work together with on on a on a visualization, how does your process look like? How do you start and then how do you iterate through to, to get to a good visualization? He's going to start. Um, yeah, well, that's, yeah, that, that's kind of my job. So, so that's great. I, I, uh, so I train data analysts and I give them that kind of feedback all the time. And I tend to be pretty blunt about it because I, you know, there's no sense in, at least from my perspective, there, there's no sense in kind of sugarcoating something to somebody because it's going to take them much longer to understand the feedback. So I use a similar process that I do for Makeover Monday. I focus, well, first I ask them, uh, what's the question you're trying to answer? So, and if they can explain that question to me, then I'll ask them, I'll say, I'll say, okay, well, how does what you created help me answer that question? So in terms of that question, can you give an example? Because it's not just, I want to show X, Y, Z data. It's, it's more specific, isn't it? Yeah, uh, well, it depends on the project. So sometimes it's just something simple like a KPI dashboard. Other times it's a piece of analysis. So when it's a piece of analysis, you know, it might be, you know, I want to understand the interactions between uh, drug X and drug Y across these different cohorts, something like that. It might be a very specific question you're trying to answer. But if they put charts on there or tables or whatever it might be, and they don't answer that question, then why do they have them in there in the first place? So that's kind of where maybe you scale things back that they have in there. But it also could be, well, I don't see the answer in here. So you're trying to, especially if it's something like um, your listeners do, typically a lot of things go in papers or things like that. If it doesn't answer the question, then it's not going to support your argument or your research. So I, I really think people need to focus on, you know, stand back, maybe even give it to somebody else. Start with your title as a question. You can always change it later, but start with it as a question because that helps you focus 
what you create and what you include in your visualization to make sure it supports that question. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the way that I start with the feedback. And then from there, I go into the design, you know, and uh, but I think the most important part is how do how are you what are you trying to communicate? And is it doing that? Okay, okay. And in terms of design, what's the first things that you look into from from a design perspective? And Eva, you can chime in if you have any, any further thoughts on that. Well, maybe I can start with a quite a common situation that people can probably relate to is you have a stakeholder that says, you know, I want this, I want, I want the answers to these questions and this is the format I want them in. Um, and this is the point where I immediately push back and say, I'm, I'm going to work on giving you these answers, but you can't tell me it's going to be a pie chart or a waterfall chart or something because I will come up with the chart that's most effective and then we can start discussing. So I do want people to definitely tell me what their questions are and what they need to know and what they need to understand. But then it's, a, it's time for me to go away and actually work on figuring out how do I best display this? First of all, like finding the answers and then finding a really effective way to communicate it. And then I will sit down and there's going to be back and forth and a bit of give and take. And I'm very much a fan of best practices and making sure that we use charts to communicate the truth and don't mislead people or look good at the expense of really telling us what we want to know. And that is something where I will always push back. And and I think that's where this iterative process comes in as well. So you, you have the back and forth. You will have to make some concessions at some point because someone might just pull the seniority card and say, well, I'm, I'm telling you, this is how you have to But I think it's also important for us as data experts and as visualization experts, as data scientists to really say, well, this is what the data says and this is what I'm going to stand behind, but I'm not necessarily going to stand behind the other choices that are made at the expense of really clearly communicating the values in the data. And when you do your first kind of sketch, do you do that directly in your favorite software tool or how do, how do you start? Andy, do you want to go with this one? Yeah. So I start with the, the data exploration process. So I want to understand... You know, if I have a series of dimensions, what is the what values are in those dimensions uh, so I can get a feel for, you know, and if I have, you know, let's say, you know, some type of measurement, uh, maybe it's temperatures or something like that, or it could be anything, you know, what's the distribution of it? What are the high lows? Um, are there concentrations in the data? Can it be normalized? Uh, all those sorts of things I'll look at before I get into Uh, before I get into the design. So now that I understand kind of the, the or I have a, a decent idea on kind of the structure of the data and what fields are in there, that's like when I get out a big piece of paper, um, sometimes an A2 size piece of paper and write the question on there at, at the top and then maybe get some sticky notes and draw just really, really quickly some simple charts um, you know, it, it can be just a, you know, doesn't have to be accurate or anything like that. You just say line chart uh, and it's going to show temperatures over time or whatever it might be. And take a series of those sticky notes and then move them around on the paper so that uh, you can um, you can kind of step back from it and see if it communicates the way you want. I tend to do on a sticky notes because you can move them around. Whereas if you just draw it on a piece of paper, you're kind of stuck on what goes where. Uh, unless, of course, you cut the piece of paper up, but then they just become <laughs> sticky notes. That's the process that I recommend to people as well. So that way you basically create a create a dashboard 
with with and the sticky notes as the different pieces that you that you would use exactly for, for the dashboard. Okay. okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and that way you can also very easily erase it and okay, not a line chart but but a bar chart or something, yeah. something yeah. different. Okay. And then you can always just throw things away as well, right? You can take things off that you might not need anymore. So you might draw as many charts as you think that would be related to this data, start moving them around and, and eventually you'll kind of uh, you'll you'll pair things back so that you only have the information that's really relevant and communicates the best. Okay. And that really speeds up the, the development of those charts then. Yeah. Yeah. For me it's I have to say I probably don't use paper enough. I do when I have a certain design or dashboard layout in mind, I might, you know, sketch it out quickly or I might scribble some notes. But typically I just go straight into the tool and just build things in there. But that's also due to the nature of, you know, if I do make a wonder visualizations, they're typically fairly simple and I try to do them fairly quickly. But if it is more elaborate, then definitely the, the pen and paper approach is something I would recommend people try out because you can have such a good plan and then you just you just tick them off one by one as you create them in your tool mm. and it actually saves a lot of time. Awesome, awesome recommendation. And you can draw something really quickly and you know, show it to someone else and then discard it. And, and therefore you have the, the first iterations really, really fast. And also I think you are not limited then by what you know in the tool, but you can, you know, you're just limited by your imagination and what, how you can draw something and not limited by how fast or how, how effective you can use uh, the tool that you use. I think you're also much less likely to, when you draw things out, you're much less likely to use kind of fancy charts or, you know, complicated charts. You're probably going to start with things that are that are quite basic. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's all about communication. And if it's if it communicates simply and quickly, then it's probably effective. Yeah. You mentioned feedback about visualization. So you give a lot of feedback. <laughs> it's basically easy. So one of the key items of Makeover Monday. How do you approach that? In, so that others can, you know, easily take on this feedback, but but also understand clearly where to go. Yeah, I would say for Makeover Monday, it's a bit of a balancing act, especially when new people join, they might not quite understand yet, you know, where can I get feedback? How do I get feedback? A lot of people have gone into the habit of just asking for feedback in the tweet so that others can actually just comment on their visualizations and say, hey, this is great because we're not the only person, the only people who know stuff. You know, there are plenty of people out there who can give comments and you can help people get better. Um, but I have also noticed that people specifically want feedback from Charlie and I. So that's why we maintain this webinar process because it's the only way for us to actually manage to, to give proper feedback. And we probably spend about three to four minutes on each visualization Especially in the beginning of the webinar, we spend a bit more time. And then as things maybe repeat themselves, we just say, you know, refer to our feedback from earlier. And just being able to talk through something, point at, at, you know, at the dashboard or the visualization and explain things and using our voice and uh, a bit of humor and a bit of banter really makes it so much more effective because if I just give them a bullet list of, you know, change the color, rethink your title, there's some typos here, and really you should rotate this around, people will be like, oh, she's really mean. She's a mean German. And I don't want to be the mean German. I, and that's why I've actually stopped giving people feedback on Twitter altogether because 
also if you do it once people will be like oh can you talk to me as well and um and the only way i can really for my own sanity kind of manage it is this webinar and but then we really put the effort in so 75 minutes and that's our guaranteed time and we have quite a lot of submissions that come in so we can't cover everything but we're trying to go through all the different chart types so at least people who've built a bar chart all can apply our bar chart feedback and um and I have to say, I think it's brave that people put their work out there. I've never actually been involved because, you know, I run the webinar, so I can't really give feedback to myself. But um, I find that really brave or courageous to ask for feedback publicly in a forum where there's typically about 100 people dialed in live, see what we say about the visualization or, you know, what we think about it. So I think it's important to ask for feedback and to have that regularly because what we also notice is that the people who participate every week or at least every fortnight and really afterwards take our feedback on board. Uh, they don't have to agree with everything, but just working on that feedback and updating their visualizations. And then I love when they say, oh, I can see now this is much more clear or, or whatever it is. Um, we see their growth and it's incredible. There are quite a few people where we see over the course of a few months or a year, how much they've improved and how it's really made a difference to the work they do. Awesome. One of the other one of the other really fun things that we had done. Um, I don't remember when we started doing it. I, I think just one day, we, we even I were doing the the weekly webinar, and there was a visualization that I was like, "Oh, this can just do with some really simple tweaks." So during the webinar, I downloaded the workbook and then opened it up and made those tweaks. So people were kind of able to see on the fly, you know, how can I take something in, in just a couple of minutes, make it much more effective. And it's just usually really simple things. And then everybody seemed to really enjoy that. I have to, I have to say that if people can really just look at the cosmetics, so they've put in, let's say, two hours of work into this one chart uh, or with this one dashboard and they publish it. And we just ask them for two minutes of a little bit of formatting and tidy up. It can make such a difference to maybe rotate something around, remove a bit of color, add a bit more white space, remove some of these like, you know, borders and lines. And suddenly you have this dashboard that just looks polished. And we don't want them to spend another two hours on doing something or starting from scratch. It's really just a few superficial things or seemingly superficial things that make a big difference because that's often all that's required. Yeah, so, so remove all the visual clutters that is... That is there. That is very often there in these kind of standard templates already included. That that you don't really need. You know, so like like yeah. grid lines and boxes and and uh, mm -hmm. things like that. In terms of graphs, you know, selecting the right graphs is you know uh, an ever growing gallery of of different visualizations we can use, and some of these are really innovative. And then, you know, the audience has never seen that before. Um, or you could, you know, choose for the ones, you know, the line graphs and the bar charts that the audience is used to. Where would you see is kind of pros and cons of, you know, innovation versus using the gold old bar charts that everybody is using? Yeah, I think there's a couple, um, well, there's resources out there for, for to help people make really good decisions. So the Financial Times has um, uh, what's called their visual vocabulary that lets you look at, you know, what's the, what's the category of data that you're looking at? So it might be something like, you know, I need to show something over time or I need to show 
um, you know, comparisons or different things like that. So parts of the whole, magnitude, distributions. And then they list out a series of charts underneath of that. I actually took that and recreated all of those charts in Tableau for so people would have it as a resource and know how to build those. And then um, I don't remember his name, but another guy built it in Power BI. So we have these resources out there for the community to help them choose the appropriate charts for, for their data. And there's also another one called the Chart Guide. So it's, uh, it's chart.guide. And they have a great poster on there that you could print out that has tons of charts on it. It must have, it must have at least 50 charts on there and it has do's and don'ts and it has little indicators for, you know, is this chart, does it, is this chart typically confusing? Is it for monitoring? Is it for communication? Is it for analysis? And those are like super, super interesting or effective ways for people to, to choose the right chart type. Eva, do you have any further thoughts on that? Lots of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I would say, I mean, I stick to the more conservative ones because they just do their job really well, like bar charts and line charts. And <clears throat> a good test is when when Charlie and I, when the past Andy and I would run these webinars and we come across one of those innovative or more, more intricate charts, if we don't understand it within the first few seconds or even, I don't know, 10 seconds, We are data professionals. We know how to read these charts. But if we don't get it, lay people will not get it. So it's not just, and I hate when people say, oh, give it to your mother because give it to your father, for God's sake. But anyway, <laughs> aside from that, like, it's not about asking lay people if they understand it. Sometimes it's like ask the professionals if they understand it because if they don't, then probably no one will. And I would say if it's a matter of, okay, I just want to practice how to build this because I want to build my technical skills Absolutely fine. But if there is a purpose of, okay, we need to communicate this data to a very broad audience, we might know them all, we might not even know them all. Um, how, how do we best do that? And I've had people say, oh, a bar chart? Isn't that boring? It's like, but people, this is not, a, you know, data visualization isn't like the movies. We don't do it to be entertained. We do it to communicate information. If someone builds an infographic that maybe has a marketing purpose of, you know, being at an exhibition or something, that's a different matter altogether. But if it really is about conveying information quickly and effectively, I would stick to the, the tried and tested uh, bar chart, line chart, um, maybe a heat map or something like that, but something that's simple and that people don't need much explanation in order to understand. Yeah, so I'm thinking about in the area where I work on, we usually have kind of patient level data. And so, mm -hmm. so, um, the, usually the kind of common chart types like line graphs and bar charts and these kind of things just displays the summary statistics within, you know, treatment groups or subgroups and, and things like that. And they are not very effective in showing kind of the, the spread of see what's hap really happening with the patients. They just give you kind of the mean and maybe some whiskers for the standard deviation or standard error or something like this. I really like the charts where you have also all the patients in there. So you can basically, you know, see how individual patients are developing. And, and that gives me very often a much better perception on, on the distribution and also gives me actually more more trust in the overall display because i can see what's what's happening for 
all the patients instead of kind of just see that, yeah, on average, there is this change or this difference. However, the, the problem is with these type of charts, it's usually the more innovative charts and, you know, the things that people are not used to. So it always comes with this additional explanations that you need to do and if it's on a if you have some time and it's an oral presentation at a conference then that's usually a quite quite nice feature or if you have it as an appendix to in a a paper where you can have much more description around it and then i completely agree if it's however for you know you have just two minutes with this physician to, you know, convey the message, then maybe something really, really simple is is better. And I think you can actually take the simpler or traditional charts and enhance them. So a visualization that Andy built that we also have in our book is about the melting ice in Antarctica. And what he has is he's got the median mm-hmm. um, highlighted in a certain color. This is a line chart um, displaying the ice extent over time. But then for, so, and and then you can highlight a specific month. So you have two lines that are prominent. And then all the other months are still displayed as gray lines, maybe a bit thinner in the background. So if you think of your patients, maybe you have a line chart for, you know, results over time, highlighting the median, but having for a line for every patient in the background, just to show you, yeah. are they above, are they below, how many are above, how many are below, are they all clustered around the mean? Um, because that way you can take the really good things about a line chart, but add more detail. But you just have to be clever about how you use that context. And we find that Using, the, using color and maybe line thickness to really highlight the bit that you want people to look at, mm. but putting the other stuff in the background so that they see this is where it all came from, that's really helpful. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's where, where um, resources like the chart guide that I mentioned are really um, come in very handy because they help you think about, you know, this is my data set. I need to show all of the data. What's the most effective way to do that? So, for example, if you're looking at patient level data over time, you need to, to display every patient. Maybe you create a series of like violin plots that have, you know, each each year or each month, whatever is a is a as a violin plot, and you go kind of left to right across the years. And maybe you can then highlight a patient and see how they have progressed through time. Um, but that kind of helps you show the distribution as well as, you know, the outliers and um, you can look at each individual point or maybe you have something like instead of a violin plot, you just have, you know, again, you might have years going left to right and you have each individual and they have their measurement on the scale. So each person has a dot. You could kind of jitter those so that they're kind of spread within the year, you know, so, they, so you kind of minimize the, uh, the overlapping. And then that's another way because you kind of would also see the the um, the distribution like a histogram, but you're seeing each individual person as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's lots of ways to do it, and again, that's where you know uh, I tend to just look at what other people have created. That's that's awesome. So in terms of uh, references, we went through a couple of these already, and and of course you have a have an awesome book with lots of lots of good examples also called makeover monday so very very easy to to remember do you have (laughs) anything else beyond that that you would recommend in terms of uh, further reading so what i would suggest is uh, if people do want to participate in makeover monday they go to makeovermonday.co.uk 
And that's where they find all the information. They find all the data sets from this and the previous years and a, a bit of a gallery of favorites. Um, and then, yeah, you can find the book there as well. Uh, in terms of others, I mean, there's a huge collection of blogs out there. Um, Andy's blog has, you know, written articles, but also has YouTube videos where he explains things to do in, in Tableau, for example. Andy, what about other books that... Yeah, um, I think if, if people are trying to learn kind of the basics of, of data visualization are kind of at the beginning point, I would highly recommend Stephen Few's books um, because they're written in a very simple and easy to understand way. Um, so you can start with, you know, how do I design basic graphs and why are they designed that way? So you get kind of some, you understand Yes, I could create this chart, but I need to know why I would need why I would create that chart, and that was always that was really helpful to me. And then maybe you move into to um, books that are more about analysis. So Stephen Fuels has books around that. Um, maybe it's around designing dashboards. Uh, so I would I would recommend Stephen Fuse books as as probably the best starting place, other than our book, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. And then Alberto Cairo as well is another um, another author that I would highly recommend to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, he has just a new book out, so, yeah. so that is yeah. uh, that's really interesting. And I like their books because they're also tool agnostic. So uh, you know anything that's in their books can be applied to any tool. Yeah, wonderful. We had a really, really good discussion, starting with the discussion about how Makeover Monday all started and then how it grew into a really, really big community project and also how you can participate in to it. We went through how to create good visualizations in terms of the different iterative steps and, and how to give feedback about these and also had a good discussion about what are all the different references you, you can use, like um, like the chart type and, and the books. And, and of course, yeah, participate in Makeover Monday. Thanks so much. Do you have any kind of final final thoughts for the, for the listener? I think for me, it would be my recommendation for people to just practice, practice, practice uh, as much as possible. And, and always get someone to look at it and see if it communicates well. Um, and also not trying to do everything all at once, but really focusing on whatever the story is they're trying to tell or the one answer they're meant to give and then go from there. Because if we always tackle all the data all in one go, uh, we tend to overcomplicate things. So keep it simple and just focus on that answer. Yeah, I think the willingness to be open to feedback. So jump right in. But it, the, the feedback from people, while it can feel harsh at times, it's designed to help you grow. So go into it with that, with that mindset. Um, it's hard to take that first leap. But if you go into it with a growth mindset and you look at it as, you know, these people are actually trying to help me. While it might sting, it's all meant to help you improve. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Eva and Andy, for this really, really nice uh, discussion. And um, yeah, I hope you see a couple of the listeners showing up in your Makeover Monday now. I hope so too. Thank you very much for having us. Bye. Bye. This show was created in association with PSI. Check out the show notes for all the great content that we discussed in this episode. 
Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Tell your colleagues about this podcast if you haven't done so and if you like the podcast. And don't forget, join the LinkedIn group and share your experiences there and also learn about much more content that is provided there. So reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Music